Thank you. That was quite nice. But why don't we welcome the Holy Spirit now? Let's celebrate Holy Spirit because he's worthy of all praise. Oh, Lord, we love you so much. God, I thank you for the presence of God that is in this place, the power of God that is here to divide the heart and soul of men. God, I thank you that in this moment is someone here that is broken, someone that is searching, someone that is in need of healing, someone that is in need of having their eyes opened, their head lifted, once again, Holy Spirit, will you just do for us what we cannot do for ourselves? Stir within us a desire to know you like never before. Bring to us an awareness that our relationship with you is not a performance that we have on a platform. That we look all pretty when the lights are on, but our relationship with you sometimes looks messy. And you receive us. So God, today I ask that as we sit through your word and we engage with the word, that you would just cut it a hundred different ways and let it speak to our heart. In Jesus' name, I pray. Let the church say, amen. amen. Before you sit down, I want you to just fist bump somebody, hug somebody, and tell them change is a coming. Change is a coming. Mm. I would sing it if I could, but I'm not going to. That's a good song. Well, it's so good to see all of you. I see a lot of new faces this morning. I'm, I'm glad you're here at the Exchange Church. This is a place where... Purpose is awakened and developed, and I'm excited to walk this journey with you. We're currently in a series on change. The title of the series is I'll Do It Tomorrow. I'll do, I'll do it tomorrow, finding the power to change. Have any of you ever said I'll do it tomorrow, like whatever it is? Come on now. Let's just get a little more specific. How many of you have said I'll start the diet to, on Monday, not even tomorrow. It's Wednesday. You're going to start Monday? Well, I got plans. Friday is fajitas and Saturday is... I know, I know. What about, hmm, I'll apologize tomorrow. I'll start exercising. <laughs> Never. <laughs> Well, there's honesty in the room. We took tomorrow off the table. We exercised to never. We always push off change till tomorrow. My favorite, one of my favorite subtle tomorrows is when you decide that you're going to cook a good dinner and you go and get the ingredients at the store and it takes you forever to get the ingredients and you get home and you're too tired. So you're like, I'll cook this tomorrow. <laughs> Let's order pizza. I love, I love it. Tomorrow is change. Well, we're going to talk about today because some of us need some change today. I believe that Holy Spirit can give us the power to change 
today. Change is the one thing in life that is ever constant. That is the one thing you can always count on. You can always count that change will be in your life forever. It doesn't matter how set you get everything, how you get everyone positioned and situated right where you want them. Change is a coming. I never thought that texting would catch on. I think I've, I've shared this before, Chad, but when texting first started, now how many's with me, you first heard about texting, it took a while for me to believe that everyone, everyone would have a cell phone, first of all. That was like surprising to me. Like everyone's going to have one? How's that going to work? Well, everyone has at least one. And uh, when texting rolled around, I thought, why would people text? Why not just call? That makes no sense to me. Why are you going to type a message to someone? Texting is never going to catch on. Has anyone, anyone believed that initially? Okay. We're the older people in the room. We under, we're the ones that know what a landline is. Well, I really, I, I did not think texting was going to catch on, but it has caught on so much that I now have this condition, this condition. And it's a real condition. I Googled it just to make sure and, and find out what it is. Uh, but it's called the phantom vibration syndrome. That's where I'll be standing at the store and I'll think, oh, somebody's calling me because my, my butt's vibrating. <laughs> and I'll go to get my phone and my phone's not there, y'all. Miss Lydia, I'm like, well, what was vibrating? <laughs> and it's happened multiple times. Has it happened to you too? It's a real condition, phantom vibration syndrome. We are so conditioned by technology that now our body believes that technology is trying to reach us even when it's not. That's the power of change. Something that I once thought would never catch on now won't let me go. Romans 12, our text today, there are two verses I just want to focus on for a few minutes Today, I want to talk to you, continue the subject of change. And I love the Apostle Paul in these two verses. It just encapsulates so many attributes of change that we're going to talk about today. But Romans 12, 1 through 2 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So the Apostle Paul is suggesting to all of us here today, who is he talking to? The brothers, the brethren. So he's not talking, and earlier in the book of Romans, we see that he kind of lists several different people, groups. He, he lists sinners, the world, people who haven't said yes to Jesus as a group. And we would expect sinners to do sinner things. And then he talks about uh, the Gentiles and the Jews as a group. Well, in Romans 12, he's talking to the believers. Now, you may not be a believer in the room today yet, but those of you in the room that are believers, we know that this applies directly to us. Romans 12, 1 through 2, he's not talking to groups of Jews, Gentiles. He's not talking to sinners, the people who are lost. He's talking to who? 
believers. He's talking to you and I. And he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your body as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to you, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world. And here he talks about the greatest change possible. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Change. Now, I asked last week, how many of you like change and how many of you hate change? Many of you said that you hated change. How many of you still hate change? Very proudly, okay. All right. How many of you embrace change? Sometimes. Sometimes I like change. Sometimes I don't. I have to tell you that maybe it's our concept of change that is confusing. Maybe it's our idea of what change means and and what it accomplishes that, that creates some mistrust in our heart. For example, I think one of the greatest disservices that we have done to this younger generation Those that are in their mid-20s grew up with it significantly in youth ministry. And I was part of the problem of pushing this narrative. And and I'm I'm not going to suggest that I'll never say this again because it might slip out. It's just something we're talking about and thinking about today. But one of the greatest disservices is looking at young people and saying, you're going to change the world. I mean, you have a good moving service and worship is going on and you feel the presence of God and you call up all these kids. You're going to change the world and you're going to change the world. Meanwhile, we've got 20-something-year-old young adults who haven't changed the world and they're wondering what that even looks like and if that's even real. I was told and I believed I was going to change the world. I'm a little older than 20-something. I'm 48. Am I 48? I'm old enough to forget how old I am. But I'm not old enough to forget the promise that I was going to change the world. So am I not meeting expectations, God? Am I not good enough to fulfill the thing that the preacher told me I was going to do? What if we made the goal not about changing the world? but about encountering the heart of Jesus every day. What if me really changing the world isn't about building a grand church with a lot of members and big givers and tons of people going off to youth camp and tons of people serving in ministry? What if me changing the world is me being able to sit alone with Jesus day by day and just hearing from him and just surrendering whatever is on my heart? Giving up control of my life, giving up my own decision of where I want to live and what school I want to go to and what career I want to have. What if that is changing the world? And maybe that's what they meant when they said I was going to change the world. Maybe through Jesus and the surrender of God, my world was going to change. But I got so focused and prideful on how I'm going to impact everybody else. What does that look like? And when does that start, God? Meanwhile, I'm holding on to my definition of change. So maybe we can re-understand, relearn, re-educate ourselves on what it means to change the world. Relearn. Change is painful. Anyone here ever been through physical therapy? Why do you go to physical therapy to relearn what you already knew how to previously do? Right? You injure yourself, Sonny. We say no pain, no gain. In the gym, I'm working out and I'm doing 
pull-ups. I've got to the place where I can actually do a pull-up now, uh, several of them, pulling myself up. And before I had to do assisted pull-ups, take off, you know, well, I won't tell you how much weight I took off. But you can stand on this machine, and, and though I'm like, I was 240 pounds at my highest, I could say, take off 140 pounds, <laughs> and let me think I'm doing a pull-up, right? And so I did, and the more that I did that, I could decrease the weight, and then it was, I was so proud when I was able to just take off 45 pounds of my weight. And then when I was able to not take off any, and I was able to lift myself up, I thought, this is amazing. This is incredible. And so I did more, and I did more, and I did more, and I, I was saying in my mind, no pain, no gain, until this shoulder cracked. And I was like, I don't think that's the pain I'm looking for. So there's a line that we have to find, the, the pain of gain and the pain and trauma of misuse. But what you and I have to understand in change is that when there is pain involved and God has asked us to step into that process, he's walking through the pain with us. Some of us refuse change because we're avoiding all pain. Some of us are so used to avoiding all pain that now we don't experience change at all. But I want to get back to our text because my first point today is something that we all need to be reminded of. And that is change is possible. Change is possible. The Apostle Paul says, be transformed. That's a command, by the way. It's not a suggestion. It's not an invitation. It's a command. Be transformed. The Greek word is metamorpho. You can imagine what words we get from metamorpho metamorphosis. Metamorphosis is when uh, a caterpillar becomes a butterfly or a tadpole becomes a frog. Be transformed. It's an imperative. And I think church should be the one place of all places where someone should hear that change is possible. I think every church in America should be the place where anyone can come in, even if you've messed up, even if, if you've made poor decisions, even if you've walked away from all the good things in your life, you walk into the house of God and you hear that change is possible. Change is possible not because we're just cheering one another on. Change is possible because we serve a living God. We serve an active God. Romans 8, 11 says, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of you. So change is possible not because we've got a magic formula, not because we've got a wonderful growth track, not because we clearly mark all the on-ramps. Change is possible because when you come into the house of God, there is an anointing that settles on the congregation, and there is something in this room, there is something that God wants to add to your life that is beyond what you're able to do. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. The next thing I want to learn from our text today this change is personal. Look at your neighbor and say, it's my turn to change. That didn't sound too exciting. <laughs> and it's my turn to change. Paul says, I appeal to you to present 
your bodies, your reasonable act of service. This involves you. So when we're talking about change, it's really easy to point the finger at everything else in our world that needs to change. All the programs, all the systems, all the people groups, all the other things that need to change. But, but change is personal. God is asking you. Paul says, I beseech you. I appeal to you, brothers. In fact, let's read that. Let's read verse 1 again. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. Therefore. I've taught you before that when you see the word therefore, you should ask the question, what's it there for? Right? So whenever you see the word therefore in scripture, you want to back up because this verse is sitting on the tail end of something important. And this is true in this case, too. If you back up the whole previous 11 chapters, Romans 1 through 11, those are called the mercies of God. Okay, the Apostle Paul is explaining uh, the nature of God, the, just, the, the mercies of God, the things that he does for us. For example, we'll learn in Romans 1 through 11, that we're justified by faith. We'll learn in Romans 1 through 11 that we have access to God, that we have hope of heaven. We'll learn that we are shaped by trials and tribulations. We'll learn that you have overflowing grace of God. You'll learn that you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. You'll learn that whether you are Jew or Gentile, you've got God's great promises. You'll learn that no matter what happens, God will Use it for your good. There are so many promises in Romans 1 through 11. It's called the mercies of God. The good things that God will do for us, even though we don't deserve it. So then in verse 1, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, after chapters 1 through 11, after all the good things, the mercies of God, after all of those things that God will do for you that you can't do for yourself, because of that, then I'm begging you to present your life to a God who can change it. And how does this happen? When he says be transformed, it's a command. It's an imperative. But for all of your English professionals of the world, you would know that this is a passive imperative. The be transformed is a passive imperative. That means it's someone outside of you that's doing the changing. It's not you being commanded to change. It's you surrendering yourself to be changed by something or someone from outside of you. Hmm. That means someone outside of you is doing the changing. We can translate that verse simply like this. Don't let the world around you transform you. After all these things in chapters 1 through 11, the mercies of God that have been laid in your lap, don't let the world change you. Choose to let God. Change is personal. God, I present myself to you to change my life. And the scripture says, this is our reasonable act of service. It's reasonable. Come, let us reason together. That means it's logical. If we were to look at 1 through 11 and see all the good things that God is doing for us, it makes most sense logically. In the analytical part of my brain, it is reasonable to submit my life to God. 
The Bible is filled with stories of people that presented themselves to God in a logical way, and God changed them. The womb of Sarah was barren. And when presented to God as a living sacrifice, her, her body presented to God as a living sacrifice, a barren womb gave birth to a nation. Moses couldn't speak without stuttering. But when presented to God as reasonable service, as a living sacrifice, his physical body, a mouth that stuttered, God was able to work through him and deliver a nation. The Apostle Paul, a man of short stature, probably had a small gait. I imagine him, if he's trying to keep up at the mall, he's one, one of these people. Because he's short, and he's got a short stride, but he traveled, traveled everywhere preaching the gospel. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. The Bible is filled with people who just offer their bodies as a living sacrifice. God, do whatever it is that you want to do with it. I just want it, I want it to be service to you because it's logical. It just makes sense after all the things that you've done for me in chapters 1 through 11. It just makes sense. See, I'm not trying to get your emotions riled up so you change today. I'm appealing to your logical side. It just makes sense to walk away from the addiction today. After all the Lord has established in your life, it just makes sense. It just seems logical to forgive that person that hurt you. After God has given his life for you, he has forgiven you after all that you have done and he has shown mercy toward, it just makes sense to forgive that person. It's just logical. It just makes sense to believe that tomorrow is going to be better than today. You've been fighting to believe that. You've been fighting for hope. You don't need to. Hope is logical. You're a child of the king who owns it all. You're a child of the one who said he's going to use everything for your good. It just makes sense. I'm not asking you to get yourself all excited about next week and manufacture some peace. I'm just appealing to your logic today. It just makes sense. That a God who has given you everything up until this point will still give it to you tomorrow. That's logical. And this is how change happens in our world. We, change happens in our life, our own personal world, by, by just being a little bit logical sometimes. Did you know, I was reading that they capture monkeys, not all the time, but sometimes in Africa this way, by they, they get coconuts and they bore a hole in the coconut and they tie it to a tree and then inside the, the coconut they put a, a piece of fruit and a monkey will come up to it and it'll reach its hand, it smells the fruit so it reaches its hand inside the coconut grabs the fruit, holds onto it but it can't get its hand out of the coconut <laughs> and so the one that's trying to capture the monkey they walk over with the net and the monkey sees the person coming and is going crazy frantically trying to pull it out but it just isn't makes sense to him why he's not letting go of the fruit. He wants the fruit. He doesn't want to walk away from the fruit because he can't see himself in a position outside of holding the fruit. <laughs> and so they throw the net on him and they, they capture the monkey. And I'm wondering how many of us today, change is as simple in our world right now of just releasing that thing that we have called the prize in our life. Change is 
personal. My third point, change is progressional. I love that we're called a living sacrifice. You know, it's referring to the time when the priest would bring the sacrifice to the altars and they would slay the animal and spill the blood and and that was the sacrifice. But Paul is saying you and I are living sacrifices, which is much more challenging because the problem with a living sacrifice is they keep crawling off the altar. Oh God, I'm so sorry. I'll never do that again until Thursday. And, and this is not a behavior modification program. It's a heart posture where we, we surrender control. And in the moment things start getting good or we start to feel okay, again, we take back control. And, and we see this all the time, by the way, in marriage counseling. We will meet with someone and we'll advise people. Carrie and I, the, the greatest thing that we do with couples is we'll only meet with you a couple of times before we refer you to a professional because we are pastors, we are not counselors. And the greatest thing that uh, our pastor ever did 28 years ago was he met with us one time, said, you guys are really messed up. And beyond my level of expertise, he didn't say it like that. Pretty close. What he said was, I'm a pastor. If you, need, if you have questions about the Bible, or if you have questions about like life transitions and what God thinks about that and scripture and how to apply that spiritually, you have questions about prayer, I'm here for that. But if you need something deeper than one or two meetings, you really need to go to counseling. And you know, his humility to not try to solve all of our issues really saved our marriage. We spent a number of years in counseling and Carrie and I were huge proponents of not trying to fix everyone else's marriages. Uh, sometimes people want to meet with us continually over and over and over because it's, it's free. I get that, but we're just not equipped, and so we'll send them on. And here's what we tell them. Every time we send someone to counseling, we tell them this. There's going to be a point within a couple of months of going to a counselor that you feel like your marriage is better. And you're going to think, I can stop now. Don't stop. You keep going long beyond the point where you feel like it's good enough because you stop just when the pain eases, but you don't really have all the tools that you need. I mean, you have gotten here, you've gotten yourself in this place a number of years. It's going to take time to climb out of it. But you don't stop going to counseling just when it feels good. You have to keep going to counseling for a number of months, a number of years, however long it is for them. But that's the first encouragement that we give them because the enemy will always convince us that we're good enough. Oh, this is where I can handle it on my own. This is where I can stop. So we climb off the altar. We stop sacrificing the thing that we once knew to sacrifice. Change is progressional. By the renewing of the mind, there is a transformation process that happens instantaneously and over a long period of time. This is both an event and a process. You are born and you grow up. So salvation is one thing. When I say yes to Jesus and I get saved, I am instantly a son of God. If you say yes to Jesus, you believe that Jesus died on a cross, he, he was buried in a grave, he rose again, and you say yes to salvation, you are instantly in the kingdom. 
instant, there's nothing you can do to deserve it, to earn it, to work for it. But then there's this thing called sanctification, where once we become a child of God, now we get to learn how to start reflecting God. I was a child of God long before I ever reflected him. My, my grandson, Luca, is Rose Castaneda, long before he can ever speak English or Spanish. He's got our blood running through his veins. And that, that's how it is with salvation. You say yes to Jesus, it's done in an instant. But transformation takes time. And some of us need to stop beating ourselves up because we've not made the progress that we think we should have made. Chad, let's go ahead and get keys going. My time is running out. I'm ready to land this. Where does the renewing start? Renewing starts in the mind. The Bible often uses the mind and the heart synonymously. It means the same thing. It means the inner man. I've heard some people say, maybe I've said it as well, and probably good intentions, but I've heard people say, we don't need more head knowledge. We need more heart knowledge. And it sounds religious and it sounds great, but really I think it the Bible's trying to say the same thing. Your inner man needs an awareness. Jesus said to his enemies, why are you thinking evil thoughts in your heart? Proverbs 23 says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So the mind and the heart are not at odds. They're not against each other. It's not that we need to elevate one or the other. They work together to build the inner man. And I just want to say that it's okay for Christians to think it's okay for Christians to use your brain. We don't want to come in and have an emotional experience and encounter and feel all the goosebumps, but not even understand what salvation means. I don't want to have the emotional experience and, and feel so on fire for God when the lights are set and the music is on, but when I'm walking at the domain, I can't have a relationship or have a conversation with someone about Jesus based on knowledge. I don't want to have to get someone at the domain in this room to feel God. I want to be God at the domain. Not be God, but be God. Progression requires consistency and discipline. The disciplines of Bible study, the discipline of prayer, the discipline of fellowship the discipline of worship. This is how we progress in the faith because it's logical. Change just makes sense. Nothing changes if nothing changes. My final point today is change is practical. Change is practical. not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind so that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The result clause is after that, meaning we don't want to be conformed to the world. We want to be transformed and renew our mind 
But all of that is for a purpose. All of that is so that you and I can know the heart of God. So that you and I can know the will of God. There is a change in your inner man so that you can know God. Oh, and by the way, his will is good. His will is to prosper you. His will is to give you peace. His will is to heal your relationships. His will is for you to walk in joy. His will is for you to make a difference in your community. His will is for you to be a person that speaks faith rather than fear. His will is is so that you can know this is sometimes an uncomfortable place to live, but that's okay. We're a foreigner passing through. This is not our home. His will is for you to know that there's coming a better day, a brighter day. There's coming a return of the king to this place. His will is for you to know that you were made for greater than what you've been living in. His will is for you to know that you have partnered with the thing that wanted to partner with you because it planned to take you down. His will is for you to walk in wholeness and health and healing. His will for you is to use a crock pot instead of a microwave. Because when you try to rush the popcorn in the microwave, that means there's going to be some kernels that don't get popped. But if you put all the ingredients of dinner in the crock pot, and you're patient, and you let it simmer, and you let it set, you're going to come back to a meal that's healthy, it's whole, it's prepared, it's ready. That's what God is doing inside of you. Don't, Don't be discouraged that the microwave gives you food that's half hot, half cold. Hot on the outside, you ever heat something up and it's steaming and you're like, oh, it's ready. And then you bite into it and it's ice crystals in the middle. And my life feels like that sometimes. I give something to God and I want him to rush it because I just need him to fix it. I need him to heal it. I need him to rescue me. And I don't go through the endurance. I don't go through the process. I don't just take it one day at a time and just rest in the crock pot setting. I try to just speed drive through it and I may look good on the outside like a whitewashed tomb, but then you cut through the enchilada and the cheese is just too crisply. You can't eat it. It's ice. But the will of God, the will of God is right, Ryan, and it's good for you. That tells us that no matter how long you're waiting, no matter the struggles you're currently going through, we know Romans 8, 28, which is listed in the mercies of God, says that all things will work together for the good of those who know God, who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. I'll leave you with this final thought. Will you stand with me? Sir Isaac Newton said in the first law of motion, 
He said, everything continues in a state of rest until it is compelled to change by an outside force impressed upon it. Everything is compelled to stay at rest until there is an outside force. So this morning, I'm not asking you to just white knuckle it and just change your life. I don't, I'm not asking you to do that. I'm asking you to surrender to the one who can change your life. What force is being impressed on you? Are you being conformed to the world? Are you allowing God to shape you and to mold you? Will you bow your head and close your eyes this morning? Father, we come before you. God, I thank you for every person in the room today that's honest enough to say we don't like change. It's uncomfortable. It hurts. It's challenging. But God, also honest enough to say we're at a place in our life, we're at a place, a crossword, crossroads where we're tired of trying to change and do it ourselves. We're trying to manage ourselves. So God, we just surrender to you in this moment. Every relationship that needs to be restored, we surrender that to you in Jesus' name. Every relationship between a parent and child, we surrender that to you in the name of Jesus. Every job concern, we surrender that to you in the name of Jesus. God, our mental health, our spiritual health, our physical health, we choose to surrender that to you today. In Jesus' name we pray. God, we trust you in the change. In Jesus' name, let the church say, amen, amen. Can we celebrate the Lord? I may talk about uh, next week in our change series, I may talk about, uh, the word has totally slipped my mind. What's You're going to do it and you're not going to do it. Thank you, procrastinator. Wow, why couldn't I think of that? Next week, I'm talking about procrastination. So if you struggle with procrastination, please be here at 10.30 a.m., not 10.40, not 10.45. Let's go ahead and go in faith. All right, I'll see you next week. Take what you received in here and go give it to someone out there. God bless you. Have a great week.